0: gentlemen may i have your attention please this is it five six seven eight you've got talent let's see what we can do with
1: it you're gonna make
2: me believe that you belong on that stage dancing on that show is my dream.
0: You know gonna now get you.
2: Oh. The Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the movie musical Shakedown. I am your host, Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of OnStageBlog and OnStageBlog.com. Really excited you're joining us this week for a random movie. Uh, this was not in my plans, so to speak. This was a title that was suggested to me a couple months ago, and it's been on my mind ever since. So definitely one of those, um, I guess you could call it requests, that uh, we would like to fulfill here on the movie musical Shakedown. But we are doing 1997's Cats Don't Dance. a—I guess you could call it a love letter to the golden age of uh, the Hollywood movie musical. Uh, But it is an animated film. Didn't do spectacular at the box office. In fact, it was a bomb. It actually made less than its production budget, which I thought was pretty interesting. But has gone on to live an interesting life afterwards. You know, very rarely do I find someone who has seen this film who hates it, so to speak. Uh, Most of the time I talk to people about Cats Don't Dance, it's with affection and love. And how could people not know more about this film? So I'll be honest when I say that I've never seen it start to finish. I've seen clips of uh, songs and things like that. So uh, I sat down and watched it, and it was definitely an interesting watch. But uh, we're going to break it all down this week. I've got a great co-host with me. He's a podcast extraordinaire. Uh, I can't name all the podcasts I is in, he's involved in. He's going to do it, but uh, needless to say, very experienced at this, and also a huge fan of this movie. His name is Ned Donovan, an actor, producer, extraordinary like i said before and i'm thrilled to have him on this podcast because i'm sure he's gonna have some incredible things to say about this movie things that and insights that i don't have so um i'm really looking forward to seeing what he has to say on that end so we're gonna take a break when we come back ned's gonna join us but first as always here's the trailer
0: you can This spring, Turner Feature Animation introduces you to some new characters you'll love. In a story that could only happen in the movies. It's about a cat named Danny. He's got a dream. He's going to Hollywood. Hollywood, where the streets are paved with gold. And he's ready to dance his way to the top. So join Danny... I guess we're going to be the only two cats on the arch, huh? Sawyer. So much for preserving the species. Tilly. I hear you both are very, very big on Broadway. They're big everywhere, darling. Wooly. <laughs> and Pudge. Uh-oh. I'm busted. Along with all of their incredibly hilarious and entertaining new friends. And... Darla out. Dimple. Child star extraordinaire. I am an angel! And her faithful assistant, Max. Max! Yeah. Yes, Miss Dimble. But what Danny doesn't know is she's the only star who can keep all his dreams from coming true. I hate animals! Especially that one! And I got a dream in my heart. With new songs by Grammy Award winners Randy Newman and Natalie Cole. Nothing's gonna stop stop Nothing's gonna stop audiences everywhere! From enjoying a brand new world of animated fun, excitement, and adventure. See you in the movies. Cats don't dance.
2: Please your kindness be of slip. Don't it? And I am now back, and I am joined now with my guest co-host for the week, Mr. Ned Donovan. How are you, sir?
1: Oh, I'm doing just so well. How are you doing, Chris?
2: Doing well. I'm so glad to finally have you on this podcast because you are kind of like this this podcast aficionado, if you will. Like, tell us, tell us just briefly, like everything that you're involved in right now, because it's crazy. Oh
1: yeah, (laughs) we'll we'll laundry list it. So, hey gang, I'm Ned. Uh, I'm an actor, and uh, I moved here to be a musical theater actor in 2012. Here being New York City, I'm on this call from beautiful Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I am also the co-founder of Charging Moose Media, an audiovisual production company based in. Uh, Queens. We are mostly focused on new media. So we have a rock musical web series, Hey Musical Movies, called The Hunted Encore, which is an action comedy rock musical mockumentary about New York City vampire slayers uh, featuring original songs from up-and-coming musical theater composers. And then our second season was written by Preston Allen, most recently of We Are the Tigers off Broadway. Uh, And so then I am also the... Within Charging Moose Media, we have two podcasts. One is called At the Table, a play reading series where we produce new plays from emerging playwrights uh, as audio dramas with Broadway actors and New York talent. And then I am also a cast member on and the producer for Encounter Party. Encounter Party is five professional actors and improv comedians playing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign written by an (laughs) award-winning playwright. And then we... uh, are heavily edited so that what you hear is all story-driven and character-driven and you don't get any of the like table talk stuff. <laughs> and then I am also the co-founder of Audition Cat. Audition Cat is an, uh, a currently in development piece of technology that is career management tools for the professional actor, specifically to help them audition smarter, not harder. And you can learn more about us at our website, audition.cat.
2: There you go. So you're telling me that you're not busy. That's what you're I'm.
1: Like. I'm super, I'm super <laughs> laid back. I've got very little happening
2: right now. So that means plenty of time to watch Cats Don't Dance.
1: Well, I picked Cats Don't Dance, one, because it's my favorite animated movie, bar none. And Man. two, because it felt like a good tie-in with Audition Cat.
2: Absolutely. Why not? I like I like the segue there. And I, truth be told, I have never seen this movie start to finish. What? So yeah. So this was a first for me. I, I've seen clips. I've seen. I mean, everybody and their mothers always sent me like YouTube videos of like "Tell Me Lies" and like other, you know, the, the, obviously the finale. But like, I've never actually gotten to sit down and actually watch the whole thing start to finish. So this was a this was a new experience for me. Um, and I'm so glad to hear that you you love it because then you can really talk me into it. Because I, I I won't lie. I walked away saying like. Well, Wow, that was actually pretty good. Like you know, obviously it had some cheese here and there. It's obviously for kids and things like that. But yeah. to talk to you, who's you know a genuine fan of this, I'm I'm really excited to explore and learn more from your perspective, which is awesome. So let's start at the beginning. 1997, this movie comes out. When did you first see it? Like, tell me your first impressions, of the whole nine yards.
1: So I I saw the trailer. The trailer, I remember. I remember it very well. Um, But I never actually saw the movie. And when I was a kid, um, I was a sports kid who thought musicals were dumb. Uh, Because, you know, that's, I guess, how it works. And um, I first saw this film not long after it left theaters. Mm -hmm. Um, My father was dating at the time and then married to a woman whose ex had been in SAG and had the SAG screener oh, for this okay. film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so I watched that, the VHS SAG screener for it the first time and it had the, the this is a screener, not for, not for sale <laughs> right. scroll that came across every three minutes or whatever. Uh, and I watched it religiously. I played it all the time. I loved this film. I loved it from start to finish. Uh, I think it was probably 1998, 1999, something like Mm -hmm. that would have been my guess. I mean, the screener would have been 98, probably. And then she wasn't dating that guy anymore. She was dating my dad. So somewhere between 98 and
2: 2000, probably. Oh, my gosh. So Rush estimate, how many times have you seen this movie since?
1: I have a, a a collection of albums, books, movies and TV shows I try to watch at least once a year and this is on there. So nice. I've probably seen this
2: movie 40 50 times. And, and I now, found
1: stuff last night when I watched it that I had never seen before. I was
2: about to ask you like what are some of the things that kind of popped out at you, you know, that that you just never noticed before that you noticed this time around?
1: Oh man. So first of all, like it's such inside baseball, right? Like the whole thing is a giant reference to an industry that's that's pretty closed off to the world. So having now been part of this industry for the better part of a decade, I got a lot of references or references were funny to me that never were funny to me in the past. The the thing that the two things I noticed for the first time, which I can't believe I never noticed. I'm like a little mad at myself. One is in the little archangel sequence. Uh, and it's on her line. Um, with the animals, it was different, though some of them drowned too. And while she does that, there are two horses with with cones on their heads as unicorns going into the water and drowning. Yeah. And I would never noticed... <laughs> I'd noticed unicorns, but they had the—they'd even animated the bad strings like they were like a party hat, mm-hmm. and that was really funny to me last night. And then the second thing is in the final sequence, that epic closer, "Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now." Uh, when they go to the gondola ride with, um, where in the second verse, and as the gondola goes by, Cranston Goat is just shaking fish food <laughs> into. Um, <laughs> into Francis's mouth. By the way, I also found out courtesy of Wikipedia that Francis's name, they've never say it in full is Francis Albacore. And that's just really funny to me. There you go. Yeah. So those were the three things that I wrote down in my, in my pages of notes.
2: Amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know what? I've always loved golden age, you know, Hollywood. So anything that has to do with that, especially that behind the scenes aspect, I'm always going to find fascinating. Um, I love seeing kind of like, you know, like Laurel and Hardy make a cameo. Yeah. Like right. Mae West make a cameo things like that. Like that was really cool um, to see that early on. And, and especially that, that first like 10, 15 minutes of this movie, it's moving at a frenetic pace. I mean, it is. Oh,
1: it's insane. This movie, crazy. Could be, this movie could be 25 minutes longer and it would probably be better.
2: Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough to keep up. I mean, I think they're doing a little bit of that, that his girl Friday type of dialogue. Um, you know, delivery so to speak, but um it is it's definitely frenetic. And I think for some viewers, they might be like, What is what is happening? Like, what is going on in this thing? Sure. But um really, really good on that end. I mean, what I also really liked about this film too, um, a really nice surprise for Scott Bakula. I knew he did Broadway, I knew he, he did was incredible. Theater. Incredible. Incredible. And everyone
1: incredible. would I mean like for me, Scott Bakula is Isn't it Quantum Leap? Isn't that Scott Bakula? Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Like that's Scott Bakula in my head. But then I always remember he played Danny and he sang Danny. And most people didn't sing for themselves in this.
2: Right, right. I mean, I think I read that he was like in one of the original like national tours of Godspell back in the day. Really? Yeah, like it was crazy. So he's got some like theater cred. But you can hear that in the way he sings in Danny. Like you, like it's not like you know, like the you know, we'll talk about him later. But like the Russell Crowes of the world, world trying to sing like a musical theater actor. Right. You can just hear him do it, which is pretty cool. And he's
1: doing great. He's hitting these cool falsetto notes. He's got he's got good style. I mean, like I, I, why haven't we put him in Chicago yet? Make him right. Billy Flynn, guys.
2: Why not? I don't. I mean, I don't think he's busy. I don't want. I don't want to say that's a mean <laughs> no, thing. I, I just.
1: <laughs> I totally agree
2: don't hear his name a lot like so maybe he's available to do something like that um and then you've got a really interesting cast top to bottom i mean you know not not necessarily like the the cast that you would typically you know think for a an animated fil- film like jasmine guy and um you john know John risk davies davies that's
1: like, crazy to me
2: crazy uh george kennedy as lb like that yeah. was just john Knott's
1: is tw turtle like, mm-hmm. come on, Don Knotts is in this. Ugh.
2: Crazy. And so you, you do have like just this really, really interesting cast. Um, and then Ashley Pelden, who is an actress that I, I looked at her IMDb. It's like it doesn't she she seems like she's busy, but it just she hasn't had like that that one big role that we know probably her as you know, Ashley Pelden. But she's fantastic as Darla.
1: Also, this. frankly, and this blew my mind. This was another thing I never knew. Lindsay Ridgeway, who sang for Darla, who was Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh Lindsay Ridgway for, for those of us 90s kids was one of the sisters on Boy Meets World. Like I remember her vividly and oh I gosh. never knew she sang. Like I was going through IMDb last night and I was like, "Why do I know Lindsay Ridgway?" And then my brain clicked to like credits in Boy Meets World and I was like, "No!" <laughs> never knew Amazing. she sang. And never she knew. kills it in this movie. She's probably Definitely. like 10. <laughs>
2: And I gotta I, the the voice acting is really strong in this movie, like top surprisingly notch.
1: top notch. Kathy Jimmy is doing incredible work as Tilly oh. Hippo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character work is so interesting. I mean, the just the main animals really blow me away. T.W. Turtle, uh, Cranston Goat, Francis—they're all doing such really interestingly specific yet stocky work that it mm-hmm. both is Golden Age Hollywood while also being very effective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got Natalie Cole doing the singing voice. I mean, (laughs) unbelievable. Unbelievable. Really her at the height of her powers. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about her, obviously her singing, I think a little bit later in the podcast. But um, again, really great addition to this film. Somewhat, I guess you could say, I mean, I don't know. It's not a lingering question. With given that it's Natalie Cole, I always wondered why they didn't just cast her as the speaking voice as well.
1: I have no idea
2: because she has to um, have a nice voice. I, mean, I have yeah. no
1: <laughs> idea. My first assumption is they didn't hire mm-hmm. her to sing and then they added her later. My assumption is like either Jasmine guy did it and then they were like, we need one more star power. And they just put her in the studio for the two songs. Um, that was my first theory, but I've always wondered that. But I mean, you know, that's not alone. Like TW didn't sing for himself. Uh, John Rus Davies didn't sing for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, darla didn't sing for herself like right. this shows this one's full of that i mean yeah. even if you go back to like you know if you if you go back to a, a lot of the classic animated movies of the 90s that it was a different singer to actor
2: yeah definitely definitely um but again scott Bakula doing doing scott both Bakula's
1: kicking, kicking both sides
2: give him credit to that give him credit um any other general thoughts before we move on to our categories um
1: I think this movie has a better understanding of one-liners than most animated films Hmm. because there are the one-liners that are really in your face, but there are so many sight gags that make the one-liners that the sight gag is so subtle. I think the joke of I need a drink and then the fish just throwing water on her face is one of the funniest little (laughs) gimmicky jokes out there. (laughs) Or like... I love everything T.W. Turtle does from like time to go home and clean and then just like goes in his shell and then pops out a minute later with a bandana and a sponge. Like, I think they just do really great work of that. There's there's a a shot that uh, where did I write it down? I wrote it down. Oh, just little things like Darla eating the head, the animal cracker heads. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. they just did such a great job. And I think one of my favorite things about this movie, and I hadn't really put it together till I watched it last night animated movies have to do weird things with physics. They just have to. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to either make them super realistic or you just have to understand that the physics are wonky. And sometimes in wonky animated films, my whole brain starts trying to question why things are happening. And like you said, the whole start of this movie is so frenetic that... I never care in this film and it makes them able to make physics jokes that are hilarious. Like Darla gets squished into a like a coin sized object. But then instead of like popping back out, she just expands while remaining a cylinder. And there's something about that image that's so funny to me that I think Mm -hmm. this movie gets the physics right that they can make those jokes.
2: That's a good point. That's a good point. And we see a little bit of this, like, I mean, especially during, you know, any time with Dollars on screen, you can see how much fun the animators are having. With oh, yeah. Her. I mean, just all different types of faces. I mean, she is all over the place uh, when it comes to animation. And then her her butler, Max. Max. Like, what is Max? I What, what, what is creature? Max? Who is Max.
1: I, did, I I noticed today, or today, last night, one of the things I wrote down in my book that I'd never thought about before, King Kong is in this movie played by D. Ba- Bradley Baker, which is so funny to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and King Kong is significantly smaller than Max. Right. Like, by a large margin.
2: Uh, and, and I love that scene where he, when he first comes in, you know, it's this big... Big deal. And as he's walking out, he gets into that like that silhouette that he makes in the wall. And then he just disappears. He just
1: disappears like, like a flash.
2: Yeah. And I'm like, what who what is this thing? So how
1: does he fit in Darla's house? Like I don't know.
2: No, questions were not made to understand, I guess. Yeah, it
1: doesn't matter. And that's what I love about <laughs> the physics of this movie.
2: Love it. Love it. All right, well, let's move on. So, folks, we know sometimes when we're watching these sentimental, you know, movies, we've got our, our moments that, you know, the, the, the hair, you know, starts to stand up, those goosebumps start to come, those lumps in our throats start to grow. I call these dusty room moments where, sure. you know, the heart the, the heartstrings are tugged a little bit. Um, Ned, I'm going to start with you. Did you have any dusty room moments with Catstone Dance?
1: Not in any of the ones that I I thought are like the givens. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Tell Me Lies is gorgeous, but I don't think it like moves me, right? Sure, in fact, sure. I sort of listen to it and I wonder like, why is this here? <laughs> like, it's a gorgeous song. Thank you, Randy Newman. But it doesn't, it doesn't like forward any kind of plot. Mm-hmm. And and we've already kind of seen that this was Sawyer's trajectory prior to and after this. So Tell Me Lies didn't really do it. But I have to I have to say it's, you know, this whole movie is like the most simplistic way to try and get kids to understand that racism is terrible, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what this movie is. And I think it's very effective in its way of doing it. And I don't think there's any point more effective. And I never, in all my times watching it until last night, I'd never like put this button on it the bus driver the bus driver is the maybe the worst character in the movie that's not the antagonist mm-hmm. like the bus driver is a raging racist who is so friendly um and he's built to put on screen this idea of the like of the like helpful white person who mm-hmm. like who like thinks everyone should know their place but wants to be friendly to everyone like it's just awful and there was something about the lines that that bus driver says that are so cutting and so bad and so mm-hmm. awful wrapped up in this story that then watching Danny get off the bus and comfort Pudge. Like Mm. that moment when he like goes out there and Pudge doesn't want to talk to him and then Danny says something that we don't hear and then Pudge just like jumps into Danny's arms and me and the two other guys that I was watching the movie with all went no like (laughs) just so yes. So that to me was my like dusty dusty room moment was like when when Danny said to Pudge like I screwed up and let's fix this together
2: yeah yeah and I think you're right I think when you when you take a look at the messaging in this movie you substitute animals with marginalized groups whether it be people of color people of different religions or sure. sexual orientation I mean it's it's it runs the full gamut of a positive message of acceptance and you know inclusion and things like that so and um, frankly yeah.
1: right now with all of the movement you know project am I right like as we're all talking about like we should be playing roles properly there's actually something really powerful in 2019 about the Closing sequence of movie posters. Yeah. Of seeing, for instance, Tilly Hippo and Grumpy Old Men. Like, saying, like, what if it wasn't a man? Like, what if it was not just a hippo, but a female hippo? Like, there's something about it that was actually really really striking to me that right now is a messaging that we're all trying to have. Mm-hmm. And like Cats Don't Dance did in 1997. Sure, it was a joke, but also Free Tilly might be the best joke in the, the
2: That whole might week. be the best thing ever. Might yeah. be
1: the best joke in the whole movie. <laughs> <week.
2: laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, on the flip side, you know, with these movies, especially ones that were made decades ago, sometimes not everything has aged as well as it should. And I call these like yeesh moments where you're just like, Ugh, that does not look good. Um, did you have any yeesh moments with Cats Don't Dance? No. I mean mm. I
1: think maybe the closest you'd get would be Kong where that he's just like a super stereotypical gay man,
2: sure. right? Because mm-hmm.
1: you're like, "Oh, that joke didn't need to be made." And you know in 1997 the joke was like, wouldn't it be funny if this like powerful gorilla was actually gay? Right? right? Like the joke wasn't to make a comment on like look at a at a at a gay actor be a powerful creature. It was the mm-hmm. opposite. So I think that was one that I that like stood out to me as like kicking someone for no reason right. um but point. the movie as a whole stood like it it held up for me mm-hmm. um it really did i i didn't have any moment where i was like oh god that joke doesn't land anymore
2: yeah yeah no. I, I definitely caught that the first time too with the Kong thing. and then I, I don't know for some reason, I couldn't help but notice like the way that that Sawyer was being treated in the, especially in the opening scenes in the office sure. and things like that, like with literally the door being slammed in her face and thing I' was like, kid can this woman be physically hurt in in any other sure. way in this opening scene? Um, so there were just little things like that, but honestly, yeah, I think that you know with its message with with the way that it was you know animated and things like that. Overall, I think it's, you know, fantastic and I don't think there's a lot of yeesh moments. I had so
1: backing up Do you have a dusty eye moment?
2: Oh, it's a question moment.
1: We, no, we, we, you we know, honestly,
2: I We did skip my I, I apologize. Um, honestly kind of same with you I didn't really have anything that was like, oh gosh, man, my heart Um, but I you know, I, I like good singing So anytime I hear like a good song or a good, like that voice just kills it in a, in a certain moment um, I am gonna get like that—the the goosebumps, so to speak. So certainly the end. Um, tell me lies. Even the the opening number. I mean, Danny's though, arrival
1: song is an amazing song.
2: It's fantastic. So and he's and he's killing it. So um, yeah, there there were a little bit moments here that you get those chills, so to speak. But I, I wouldn't call them you know dusty room
1: moments. Yeah, there. it's definitely a, a a it's a it's a movie that's meant to be lighthearted and super joyous, mm. and its messaging is meant to be secondary to the joy. It's meant to to deliver you the message without hitting you with the message, I think. Right. Um, it's sort of actually how I feel about like All Shook Up the musical. I think it's actually All Shook Up is a really brilliant example of how to get across a very important message within a completely separate set of rules. Mm. Um I really think the final sequence of All Shook Up, I did that show in, in in very rural America for a bit. And I had, I was at a bar after one night and a guy came up to me and like broke down the plot of the show with me as a way of his (laughs) saying, like he hadn't really thought that if he had to be okay with, interracial couples then he had to be okay with gay couples like it was a really interesting like hmm. and i feel like cats don't dance kind of walks that same line where it says like we're not here to deliver the message but the message is loud and clear for you to get so i didn't really feel like it's meant to be a heartstringy show as much as a joyous show with a message
2: that's a good point That's a great point that's a great point um folks we know that with some of these movie musicals not every question is answered not sometimes not every mystery is solved so i call these lingering questions any questions that we had really about the movie uh, after watching it. So Ned, I'm going to start with you. Any lingering questions about Cats Don't Dance? I think my biggest lingering question is why is it so short? Like, Mm. they
1: really roughshod through a lot of the character development of this movie. Like, you know, not a lot of people arc in this film. Danny starts like with a song in his heart and he ends with a song in his heart with a brief moment of sadness because he screwed up. Like, no one really arcs a lot in this show um, at all. And so I, I really wondered why I've always wondered why it's so short, but watching it last night, like the, the, the beginning of the climax and the credits feel like they're within six minutes of each other.
2: <laughs> well, the whole movie is 71 minutes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like I it's was really short, crazy. And I was watching it the other night and I had like the um, pause, you know, so I could see the progress I was making in the movie. Right. And literally the second I got to that, that, noah's ark um angel yeah scene, it felt like it was like halfway through the movie and i was like it, "Wait, it's what?
1: like halfway through the movie and it's it's the inciting action of the film really
2: crazy. crazy so i
1: wish that i do wish this movie was 90 minutes long i really do mm. i think that extra 20 minutes and honestly randy newman wrote great music for this so if i think giving randy newman two more songs and a couple more scenes to just to just go on a journey a little more. That's my lingering question. Who made the choice to be at 71 minutes?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a really good question. I had a couple questions. questions. Um, the first is why do they make the elephant have to blow his or the mammoth have to blow his horn at the beginning of every movie? Like, couldn't they just, just film it once and then use it over and over again? Yes.
1: I think they were trying to, I've wondered that too. I thought last night they were trying to make a comment on um, soundstage. Like, they were trying to say Mm -hmm. they weren't splicing anything. Everything you saw was live. Mm. Um, Was was how I interpreted it, especially then when I saw Little Archangel, where she's, like, on strings and she keeps going in one long motion. It felt to me like they were trying to say, like, back in the golden days of Hollywood, they weren't cutting footage together. It was live every time, which might be insane but that was that's my theory is that they were trying to say you start rolling and you end rolling
2: when the movie finishes right right and then the other question i had especially at the end of that number is like if Darla was so upset with the way that danny kind of improvs his his meows uh so to speak why not just complain to the director and they could make that change why did she have to call max to bring him in to be this somehow sort of this enforcer i'm like it's a simple conversation you just tell the director not to do that and then but I get I get the point that they're trying to establish Max and her as a villain. But um, I that that I was just like, oh my wow, god, that's a lot of trouble for a very small note, if you will. That's interesting because I don't read that Max moment like that.
1: Mm-hmm. I read like she says, "Cut, cut, 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 get me down," and they screw it up, right? Like she flies around the room and she knocks all the people over, and she mm-hmm. like isn't getting any of the things that she's calling for when she called cut. So she calls Max like it felt like the she attempted to yell and scream and bitch just to the director. Mm. And then the director failed miserably. What's his name? Flanagan.
2: Flanagan. Yeah.
1: Flanagan fails miserably. And so she has to call in the guard. That's how it felt to me was like she's so angry because no one's gotten her down yet that she has to call in her manservant.
2: Good point. Good point. All right. Um, And then the last thing I had, which I mean, really isn't really a thing because it's animation. But again, how a mammoth plays. The piano.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is what I mean about physics. This is where we kind of have to check out a little bit. Like, one guy's talent when they're doing the talent show in the alley is just pulling a car horn. Like, (laughs) it's not a musical instrument that you came to Hollywood to play.
2: Some things I just have to accept. Like, it's an animated movie. It's for kids. They're not going to really notice those things. And yeah. I'm okay no, with that.
1: I had that exact same question. Or, like, when he does the run with his elephant hand, the keys, like in many animations, come off the piano, but yes. underneath is just flat wood. So the the keys aren't actually pushing into anything, even if they existed.
2: Uh, lo- 1990s animation. I love that. Yeah, it. God I love, I love, love it. it. <laughs> uh, all right. So, before we move on, uh, to our next section, I always like to kind of do this surprise section, if you will, of, of okay. looking at, you know, we know that with some of these movies that the final cast that we get was not always the intended cast when they t- first developed these movie musicals. So um, I kind of like to do a little bit of research to finding out who was considered for some of these roles, even some of the, the backstage roles as well. But um, famously, I'm, I, Ned, I'm, I don't know if you know this, this was actually intended to be a vehicle for Michael Jackson. Back in the oh,
1: day. I did not know this. Oh,
2: so this was actually um back in the early 90s. Uh, Michael Jackson wanted to um do a, a movie musical type of thing um with animated characters. And this the initial plot of this would have had him as Danny, so to speak, um, and then all these characters uh, around him. But then, uh, because of sales of companies and other things, uh, they, they Michael Jackson quickly departed this project. So, I want to ask you. Would this movie have been better if it had been like a space jammy type of movie with Michael Jackson as Danny?
1: Well, okay, clarification. Would Michael Jackson be Danny, or would the character of Danny be Michael Jackson?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Because if
1: Michael Jackson's playing Danny, mm-hmm. I don't know that it would help. I think Danny's—I think the, the, the speaking timbre of Michael Jackson's voice— Mm-hmm would inherently conflict with the rest of the cast.
2: Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I read that story and I was like, that's just, that sounds crazy. I I mean, I could never really imagine that. I do
1: think if we're talking about the fundamental messaging of the movie, it would be nice to not have a strapping white dude as Danny.
2: That's true. Like that,
1: I think, uh, (laughs) would be helpful.
2: (laughs) Very good. Very good point. And actually,
1: sorry, one question I had, and it's Mm -hmm. so small. Who approved Jasmine Guy and Natalie Cole as voices that supposedly come out of the same (laughs) animal? That's my like, I love them both. But when Natalie Cole starts singing, singing, tell me lies, you're like, that is not Sawyer.
2: Nope. Nope. And I've heard Jasmine Guy sing on, you know, various shows and things like that. Yeah, not even close. Not Not even even close. close. to Yeah, again, it's just one of those weird things that just not, why not have Natalie Cole just do both? Who knows? Who knows? Um, Here's another one that I found pretty interesting. So when when Michael Jackson was wanting to do, you know, this type of movie, originally the characters that were going to surround him, the animated characters, were going to be the Looney Tunes characters, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, uh you know porky pig and (laughs) this was a looney tunes development it was was initially supposed to be a looney tunes development because but what happened was because of space jam they didn't want these like you know um you know Space
1: Jam's what 99
2: 99 i guess so they they, i guess they were taking all their looney tunes resources and putting them towards that um but let me ask they
1: did space jam's a perfect film
2: yeah there you go um would this movie have been better with looney tunes characters
1: I, You know, I don't think so, because I don't Mm -hmm. think the characters would be as humanized. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know what we're getting with Looney Tunes. It's all stock, right? Like, everything is jokes. No one actually gets hurt, and no one's actually affected by anything. Like, Looney Tunes don't really feel things, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, having the Looney Tunes get kicked out of Hollywood because people are racist to tunes or to animals, like, it's also, like, Bugs Bunny's not an... a bunny he's a tune. like it now introduces a whole different world of animals
2: that's your point Uh,
1: you know like if you told me that this was developed as a live action muppet film Mm. i'd be like oh i'm in on that yeah because the muppets have feelings um but like you know arguably tilly hippo is the most journeyed character because she goes from loving everyone to actually kind of hating danny to then feeling bad about hating danny like Mm. that's a Feeling that looney tunes don't have
2: it's a good point wow i never even thought of it that way that's an awesome that's an excellent answer wow um and then the final thing i found out was the initial song team instead of randy newman was supposed to be malpy and shire (laughs) and they actually wrote songs for this movie so somewhere there are cats don't dance songs by malpy and shire um I, I was in to. a
1: I was I was in a musical directed by uh, a, a a child of Maltby, and I will have to contact them and ask
2: to hear Please these do.
1: songs. Please do.
2: I mean, just say it's a <clears throat> favor upon favor, but yes, you need to hear these songs. I need to know. <laughs> I
1: did not know that. Um, oh, if I think about Maltby and Shire, I can't even imagine them writing like. <laughs> A uh, children, like all I'm thinking is Miss Bird. Like, I think Mulpey and Shire was the first songwriting team I heard use the word nipple. Uh, like, right. Like, I think, you know, Closer Than Ever is one of my favorite Love song cycles. I think mm-hmm. it's brilliant, but I can't imagine the style of Closer Than Ever inside a physics list raucous comedy about animal racism <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> I mean I think to myself that like, this was the period of like okay trying to f- well, find the reasons why you know this is when Stephen Schwartz was doing Disney right um, so they're bringing in all the you know, Aarons and, and Flaherty, this is Aarons and Flaherty Anastasia. and Anastasia's
1: that year same year right
2: right so I'm thinking like Hollywood producers must have been flocking just to Broadway composers to try to get these movies which probably explains that what but were,
1: what were Moby and Shire doing right then like wasn't baby the 80s
2: Baby was the 80s. So yeah. where, where were they? <laughs> just living, living their life, I guess. I don't. Okay. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, somewhere there's a treasure trove of, of unused Cats Don't Dance songs uh, that you need I'm, to find.
1: I'm telling you right now, I'm putting on that 54 Below concert. Uh, it's going to star Danny Gardner from Dames at Sea because mm. I want Danny Gardner to do Danny's Arrival song more than anything I've ever
2: thought about in my life. Love it. Love it. And so we'll get it. We're doing it.
1: (laughs) We will get these. And we will do a follow-up mini episode where we tell you all about them, because I'm sure we will not allowed right. to play them live.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, folks, we know that with these movie musicals, you really need to have four key areas firing on all cylinders for it to truly be a spectacular movie musical. And that, of course, is the singing, the dancing, the acting, and design. Um, so Ned, I'm going to start with you. What did you rank the singing one through 10 and why? Okay.
1: Lindsay Ridgeway, the mm-hmm. voice of Darla Dimple, gets a 14 out of 10. That girl is wailing and she couldn't have been more than like nine years old
2: right uh
1: she is hitting some insane notes i want that song in every single drag show i ever go to from <laughs> here on like it's so good mm-hmm. um it's like way more exciting to me than ursula <laughs> like, Yeah. honestly mm-hmm. like it's the same character and i am so much more enthralled by big and loud than just about anything else so for lindsay ridgway 13, 14 out of 10 for the rest of the show. Scott Bakula is doing good work. Natalie Cole is sitting in her pocket and she's honestly not doing anything very exciting with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the opening number, like the opening credits number. Um, Can you feel the power now? The day yeah. is ours. I think that's a really like laxadaisical song that I don't care anything about. Even generic gets pop song in my head. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it just feels like I'm listening to a nineties opening number. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't fit in with the rest of the music in the show. So, like, all in all, I would say that the singing is not why I watch Cats Don't Dance, though there I do love Randy Newman's score.
2: Mm, good point. Good point. Yeah, I gave – overall, I gave it a seven. You know, I think that for, for that reason alone, I mean, you know, the singing voice of of, of Donna, that song is incredible. Um, but, yeah, just everything else kind of just brings that average down. Yeah, for me, it's, so. like, fine. yeah. Nothing, Even the nothing. closing
1: number that is so rousing, the singing isn't in it. Isn't rousing?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, now I know it's a little tough because this is an animated movie, um, but there are a little bit of choreographed, you know, dancing moments. And interestingly enough, I found out that Gene Kelly was brought in as a dance consultant for this movie.
1: That's amazing! Crazy. Also makes perfect sense for the Danny character perfect
2: sense and then sadly this was actually his last movie credit um oh. so, this, so at the end that's why you see that like to our friend and collaborator Gene Kelly
1: oh good um, you watch the credits we're gonna talk about credits because there's some amazing stuff happening in the
2: credits there you go um and yeah so, so but he he was brought in to be a consultant on the dance which I thought was actually pretty cool so how did you feel about the dancing in this movie
1: I mean there's no real way to answer that question Uh, I'm going to lean into the answer I gave earlier about physics. I think the use of physics in this film is incredible. And Mm -hmm. I think they use it for comedic and dramatic purposes all throughout this film in every dance number. So for that, I'll give it like an eight or a nine. Like the the number in the alley when everyone's just doing their talents is so... Rockishly wonderful and none of it makes any sense like when you right? <laughs> think about it but it doesn't really matter the one dancing that takes it away from being it might even bring it down to a six or a seven is honestly in that same number we're talking about like sawyer who woolly mammoth has said and such a dancer like you'd never seen and danny does some kind of a dance where he jumps into his hat and it lays flat on the ground and then he jumps <laughs> back out of it and sawyer does like like she's not doing (laughs) anything right and it's driven me crazy my entire life she like kicks her leg out a couple times and stands on a ladder and like danny is like running up walls and by the rules of this world sawyer's not a good dancer
2: No, no, not at all. Um, Yeah, I gave it a five for that exact (laughs) reason why. There you go. I love it. I love it. Um, How about the acting in this movie? How would you feel about the performances?
1: I think the character voices are incredible. I Mm. think, honestly, the interplay between these people, and I think the ultimate, I really do think, I wrote it down, I wrote like half a page of notes on just that bus driver, who I think they could have made a racist son of a bitch, and Mm -hmm. they could have made a comforting presence to Danny, and instead they did both. And I think that is a better commentary on well-intentioned white people than anything Mm. I've seen anywhere else in my life. Um, And I'd never really put it together till last night, but I think Peebo pudgemeyer, like Pudge, is an incredible little piece of like, heart-tugging wonder. I think Scott Bakula is doing great as just this, you know, Gene Kelly-esque character. Mm -hmm. I think Sawyer's work is – or Jasmine Guy's work is Sawyer's great. Heck, I think the agent Farley Wink, which is a great name. Like, I think everyone in it and the little background noises you get out of Cranston Goad and T.W. Turtle and Francis Albacore. Like, it's just – I think it is such a delightful – delicious collection of voice actors doing incredible work. So I'll give it a, I'll give it a nine. I
2: love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, how Holbrook is Cranston? How Holbrook is in this film? And you get
1: some,
2: like you get some serious theater cray when you've got him, you've got Renee, Abu, um, uh, in this Betty Lou Gerson is in this thing. I mean,
1: Gerson as Francis is as good as, uh, Mrs. White in clue. Like it just is. Mm
2: Mm-hmm hmm crazy crazy voice cast yeah i gave it a nine because i just think just people are just doing some just some really really strong work left and right in this thing um finally the design how'd you How'd this movie look to you i think it's great i think it's yeah. great
1: and i think i think it actually still comes back to the physics question danny's arrival song really sets the tone for me mm-hmm. even though those opening credits are actually really inspiring and how they use the names of people is really fun they drag on a little long but mm. danny's arrival song when he's like both on top of a taxi and on top of a trolley and jumps up a ladder to throw gone with the wind on a, on a um, marquee and then jumps on top of the revolving world at universal. Uh, I think that that the way they've styled this movie allows everything to be real like nothing is off limits. And by nothing being off limits, big and loud is as effective as it is. And, you know, like big and loud is so wonderful because everything Darla does is hearts. You know, she's the queen of hearts. They even reference the queen of hearts in the, in the reprise of big and loud when she comes in from the sky and there are the, 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 the heart spears that come up from the ground.
2: Right. That is queen
1: of hearts. And then like, she has those like evil little heart, sunglasses when she kidnaps Peebo like I think that I think they made such smart little choices and they also to speak again to the physics Ned you're a nerd uh when Danny has failed Peebo is is singing Danny's arrival song to himself which is a song from two songs ago which I find so lovely he's just Mm. singing it to himself because it was inspiring and then he sees Danny goes oh maybe I shouldn't sing right now and he's holding a donut and he walks over and he takes off a little piece he hands out to Danny and says you want some donut and Danny and while Danny considers it people throws the rest of the donut in his mouth like like the, the, there's just these rules that don't make any sense that strike the tone for the movie and that's purely on the design so 10 out of 10
2: absolutely 10 out of 10 and also you know something that I thought was very smart and I read this after I, I watched the movie but they do some really interesting things with color in this oh, where yeah. you know if if a character has an idea or is inspired they become more colorful and the second that they're not full technicolor. And the second they're not, you see them become more muted uh, in their color. Very smart choices, you know, on that end.
1: And again, that's messaging, right? Like that's talking about the hopes and dreams of marginalized communities and how they can get beaten out of you. Like it's so wonderful. And it's Mm. 1997, like 1997 was not a good year for like being good to people in America.
2: Right. (laughs) Exactly, exactly Oh my gosh, good stuff um, Folks, we know that with some of these movie musicals um, Especially ones that are usually adapted from the stage And not every single song makes the cut So I usually mm-hmm. have this next section called Numbers That We Needed But in this situation, because you know the, the final cut that we got is what we got Not really applicable, except for whatever Maltby and Shire catalog they made for this I'm going to find them Those are the numbers that we needed There you go, there you go But how about this, Ned? What numbers can we do without?
1: Honestly, and oh my god, internet, don't come for me. Here it is. Tell me lies does oh not need my to god. Be in this film. <laughs> it has. It is the only song in the entire movie that forwards no plot or character
2: wow that's a hot take because you know it's It's funny it's the song you can look up every single like buzzfeed list of like the best songs in non-disney animated movies tell me lies is on every single list
1: and what they mean is natalie cole is on every single list
2: like natalie cole
1: Mm. kills it in this song you know there's um um uh i don't know if this is like a weird tangent but have you ever seen the the spike lee filming of passing strange No. So Passing Strange is my favorite thing to ever touch Broadway. And um, Spike Lee filmed it when it was closing. And God bless him for it. And uh, in the closing credits, there is a song. And I don't know if it was cut from Passing Strange or if they wrote it for the credits. It's sung by Issa Davis, who plays the mom in Passing Strange. But when I gave that DVD to my dad and my stepmom, my stepmom called me being like, I bought the, the sheet music for passing strange because I wanted that song. And that song's not in the sheet music because it's not in the show. Uh, I feel the same way about tell me lies. Tell me lies is an incredible number that has no bearing on the story.
2: <laughs> it's a good point. I mean, yeah. I mean, looking back on it, I think you're hundred percent right. Um, it's a very pretty song. Don't get me wrong. It's a just... wonderful song
1: performed gorgeously. And the, yeah. the cinematography of the rain is so wonderful. That's mm-hmm. another physics moment where like, you look at it and you're like, none of this makes sense. There's that moment where she's singing about, she's using the metaphor of the Titanic and Danny is walking past a theater having a premiere and the theater looks like a boat pulling out to sea. Like mm. gorgeous, but not needed for the movie.
2: Right. Exactly. I mean, I picked the opening credits song. Sure. Because it's yeah, just, I'd agree I mean, with that as well really like we're going to go 1990s pop in a 1930s movie
1: no. and then it's the closing credits like how <laughs> right? dare you
2: how <laughs> dare you
1: and it wasn't written uh, by randy newman it's written nope. by the other guy scott whatever his name is
2: who knows who knows yeah now that was a odd choice but again i, I can't understand that, <laughs> that reason. why is it there oh my gosh just give now, randy ask...
1: newman another song
2: right just do it just do, just it. do
1: it it'll be fine Ned,
2: I'm going to give you five to ten minutes to watch Cats Don't Dance. What are you going to fast forward to in this movie? Big and Loud. Mm-hmm.
1: The Big and Loud reprise. Because I always forget that they're not really a reprise. It's just like a break in the middle of the song. In my right. head as a kid, that song, the first one and the second one come like ten minutes apart. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 Every time I watch the movie, I'm surprised that they are part of the same sequence. Um, because they're so different. But they're so damn Awesome, so big and loud for sure. Danny's arrival song, heck, uh, at Ithaca College where I went for my musical theater degree, when I was there, no longer true, there was a cut program for your first two years and I did Danny's arrival song as my please don't cut me sophomore year song. Or was it, no, second semester, freshman year. Nope, sophomore year, fall semester, Danny's arrival song. I love Danny's arrival song, I love that song, I love that arrangement, I love Scott Bakula doing it. Uh, I'll watch that, I'll watch big and loud and then I will cut straight to the end. Because that final sequence is awesome.
2: It is. I, I there's something about that last number, Um, especially when Darla's trying to to ruin it and everything. And she she's makes doing, it better. She's making it better. Oh, I love it. I love it. By the way, more, I had no idea the more trick.
1: physics, more physics. physics. What is happening in that theater? Where are they? Isn't this the Chinese theater in Hollywood? It is. Like, isn't that what they're showing from the outside?
2: I mean, if I could throw, I guess, lights in a perfect line so it doesn't yeah. hit anybody,
1: they, like explode in gorgeous shatters of bulbs without leaving glass <laughs> trails behind, like I would love that. Or like, cool. like Max punches holes in the in the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that final number for sure is a delight
2: awesome by the way i had no idea i went to ethica college i i went to school down the road in elmira new york so oh, you were kind of like kind of neighbors in a way neighbors there you go in a
1: way, one of my best friends from high school was a lacrosse player at
2: elmira so there you go oh my there gosh go. small world Small world smaller small, small world Folks, we have some pretty prestigious awards to give on this podcast. And, yes. um, you know, the first is what we, we call the Julie Award, which is given to who we feel is the best singer in the movie. On the flip side, we also have the Russell Crowe Award, which is given to who we feel is the least great singer. In this movie, and then finally, I have another award called the Bumlet Award. And for those of you who don't know, Bumlet is a character in the movie Newsies. And if you watch the King of New York number, he's the guy spinning on the fan at the end of that number who does this like perfect landing and opens the paper. He was played by an actor by the name of Dominic Pichero, who sadly passed away. Um, but I wanted to kind of name this award after him for a extra secondary character, background member who just kills it, and you cannot really think, you know, can't stop thinking about that person. You know, throughout the entire movie, so to speak. So Ned, I'm going to start with you. Who gets your Julie Award for Catstone Dance?
1: Oh man, I know that Catstone Dance heads are going to crucify me. Oh no. Lindsay Ridgway as Darla Dimple gets the Mm. best singer award. Now I would like to preface this. I do not think Lindsay Ridgway is better than Natalie Cole, but Lindsay Ridgway's work in this movie is better than Natalie Cole's as compared to what I know of her actual work.
2: There you go. I think that's a good. That's a good answer. And actually, I gave the same answer as well. Lindsay Lindsey Ridway gives a she's tremendous performance. Amazing. amazing. And, Big you know, and
1: loud is so hard to sing. Like it's mm-hmm. so hard.
2: Try singing it, folks. Try singing it if you don't believe us. Um, and you know, like like you said earlier, I mean, not nothing against Natalie Cole. You know, God rest her soul. But like, you know, she's she's not bringing anything to it, you know?
1: Honestly tell me what Natalie Cole in that role brought to the movie besides her name because she didn't add to Sawyer. I
2: right. almost
1: would have preferred Jasmine Guy because of how jarring it is to hear the transition in Tell Me Lies from speaking to singing. Right. Um like that's yeah. I I love Natalie Cole. I I am a big Natalie Cole listener, but I don't think that this movie is the place to look for Natalie Cole
2: fans. Right. No, definitely. I mean and, and like I said, you know, when when it comes to just bringing it, I mean a good Contrast is, you know, what Lilius White and Lashans did in Hercules. I oh mean, my God! As, as the, the muses, As the
1: muses,
2: like they're off the chart in that. The
1: muses. I uh, uh, I don't know what the what the rating of this podcast is. What what is the rating? Can I swear on this podcast? Please, please. Oh my God! When I'm when I'm having a moment where I like like am overwhelmed a little bit and I don't really know what to do, I sing out loud. Fuck my soul. Herc was on a roll. <laughs> why not
2: right is, i mean like,
1: and that's purely because of them that song is amazing because of them yes the score is wonderful but it's them
2: yeah yeah and that's and that same thing with natalie cole it's like yeah. the score is there just didn't bring it so she's, I just, she's it. fine yeah. i think
1: she went to the studio for a half a day did her thing mm-hmm. and left
2: did her thing and left uh, how about your russell crowe for this i know it's a little tough because we don't get a lot of singers in this but anyone's I that don't... stick out
1: not a lot of singers and and no one's really bad. I mean, like yeah. who sang for TW Turtle? He doesn't really uh uh, uh Rick Logan. Who are you, Rick Logan? Sorry, yeah. I'm googling guys. Uh Rick Logan doesn't ap- there doesn't appear to be anything with Broadway and Rick Logan. No, Rick Logan's singer.
2: He he looks vocalist
1: to and arranger, right? He's the right age, so great, we've got him. He sang for T.W. Turtle, and he was in a different movie than everyone else. But Mm -hmm. I will say, I don't think that's bad because T.W. Turtle was all about being like a classic swashbuckling character. And Mm -hmm. therefore, he sounded exactly like, for I am the Pirate King. You know what I mean? Like he lived in the exact world he was supposed to. It's just not the world of the rest of the movie. So I wouldn't give him the worst singer award, but I'd give him the... In a different play than everyone else, award.
2: That's a good point. Yeah, I I kind of looked at this was like the Russell Crowe being non-applicable in a way. Right. Uh, Interesting enough, Rick Logan also was a performer in another one of my favorite animated movie musicals, underrated a Goofy movie, which we're gonna stop. Have to do. Goofy
1: movies incredible. Can I be your
2: guest? I live. I was about to say movie. you and I are gonna do Goofy movie. Uh. So go.
1: <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about Powerline and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, finally, let me ask you this. Who's going to get your bumlet award?
1: Oh, man. And, you know, the answer to this is, uh, okay. The answer to this is I have wrote down so many people in the sequence in the alley that it's going to uh-huh. be someone there. I mean, the unicorns drowning is a hilarious moment. But um, the I think it's got to be... In the sequence where all the animals are just, like, playing instruments, half of which are, like, their own bodies. Mm -hmm. There's an anteater with this bottle, empty bottle case where he's, like, playing as though they're wine glasses. Yeah, he goes, do, 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 do. And then, uh, uh, right, so it might be him, but it also might be right after that are just these birds on a wire. Like a, (laughs) wow, and I love them. Mm -hmm. And so every time they show up, I cheer when I watch Mm -hmm. this movie. So Mm -hmm. it might be them. And then the last person I would give it to probably would be um, would be in the opening scene in the agency when Sawyer sits down at her desk and she says, hello, Farley winks. And she says, oh, you need a lamb for the new Moses picture? And a lamb looks at him. And he says a sacrificial lamb and the lamb goes, no, no, I think it might be <laughs> that lamb.
2: That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to give it to Toto. Uh, the, you know, oh, no, like
1: home little Toto who loves the shoes,
2: yes. loves the shoes. And then the guy comes and is like, get in the basket. You're not allowed to wear <laughs> the shoes
1: another little messaging moment like just wants to wear the damn shoes let him wear the damn shoes let him wear
2: the damn shoes also
1: they fit toto and dorothy like again physics (laughs) i have questions
2: so many questions so many questions all right ned final question for you should this get a remake oh
1: man Okay, okay the
2: year the year is 2023 yeah you're hearing that warner brothers is going to remake cats don't dance in either an animated or, you know, CGI lion king. This thing should not get
1: a photorealistic remake. Let me okay, say that mm-hmm. right off the bat. I don't think these photorealistic remakes are anything interesting to me. I would much rather watch Donald Glover in a bad lion costume running through <laughs> the field of an SNL sketch with Seth Rogen and Beyonce. And that would scratch the same itch for me that there I'm going to get go. watching this movie. Um, in terms of cats don't dance. Okay. I would love to see what didn't make it. I refuse to believe at 71 minutes that this is the movie they set out to make. It feels to Mm -hmm. me like they ran out of money and they didn't animate something. So I would love to see the extended version. Um, And also, sadly, in 2019, like I have a TV that I love and it's big and it's widescreen and you know what's not widescreen? Cats Don't Dance. Doesn't exist. You can only watch it in that weird square thing that we all used to watch TV on. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see a version of Cats Don't Dance that allows me to appreciate it on modern technology. And in that regard, I would love to see a remake. But I think um, much like when I watch Rent today, like... Frankly, I find Cats Don't Dance more timely than Rent now. Like Rent feels outdated. And right now we're all fighting the fight of let people play things and let people that we haven't seen play things play things. Like that's the battle. That's the battleground. And Cats Don't Dance sits right at the front of that. So I would love to see a remake using actors who aren't Scarlett Johansson being put in in these positions where they're not allowed to break the barrier. And then I would love to see where that ends up. I think that would be really fun, but I don't think I'd want to see a remake as much as a version set in 2023.
2: Good points. Good points all around. Yeah. And it, it would be an interesting, um, and
1: it should not get a live show. This I was about should to say, not be live. Yeah,
2: no, no need to adapt this for the Broadway stage.
1: No, 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 no,
2: no. We're okay. We're okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it's. I think, like you said, it. It there's more to explore. I love the fact that even though this was, you know, technically, I mean, not technically, it was a flop. You know, box office. It was
1: off a flop. serious flop.
2: Tremendous. It had a budget of thirty-two million dollars and it grossed, I think, one point six million. So, yeah. like, tremendous flop. But it's it lives on and it and it's actually its fan base has has become very vocal and growing.
1: I feel like On Stage Blog hangs out on Tumblr, but if you don't hang out on Tumblr, Cats Don't Dance fans do. Wow.
2: Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Ned, this was a real pleasure, man. Honestly. This
1: was a blast. Thank you for having me and letting me talk about one of my favorite films. Uh, it's my favorite musical movie.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: Uh, I won't call it my favorite animated movie because The Rescuers Down Under exists. But, but. – uh, cats don't dance is
2: up there well you know what we we will definitely have you back and honestly we're first of all when we do a goofy movie it's yours yes. secondly honestly like make a list of like your favorite movie musicals and we'll just do them together like i have no great problem with that.
1: because my whole thing was always like i just got really excited by mo- it's not that i like wanted to be that counterculture kid my thing was like i got really excited by finding things that people hadn't taken the time to give notice to as a mm-hmm. kid cats don't dance was 100 one of those movies yes right like Anastasia One and I love Anastasia and frankly it sometimes feel like Anastasia never got its due until later um so I will make that list and I will send it to you because i've I've got them
2: I love it I love it um anything you want to plug anything coming up I know you mentioned the stuff that you're in, uh, involved in earlier, but anything that we should know that's coming up soon
1: oh man so many things so uh, the hunted encore, which is my musical movie that uh, maybe I'll convince you to do a special episode on someday be Um. Amazing. It's a musical web series uh, starring a bunch of New York actors and Broadway actors written by a bunch of great composers. We are joining a new streaming service dedicated to filmed musicals. Uh, pretty soon, um, nice. and so you can check us out there. We will, we we can't announce what that is yet because the contracts aren't finished drying. Um, but it is available right now at thehuntedencore.com. Also, my current podcast, Encounter Party, uh, the D and D podcast I talked about before. We spent about ten weeks at the top of Apple's new and noteworthy charts. Um, wow. Our our audience has been expanding massively. We're gearing up for a second season. We're chatting with sponsors. Um, if you like. Fantasy fiction. Doesn't matter if you like D&D or not, you will love this show. It is it is gripping and compelling and fun and funny, and the characters are really well done. So Encounter Party, get it wherever you're listening to podcasts. There are 14 episodes at the time of this recording. I don't know when you're dropping. The first season will have 17 episodes, we think, uh,
2: mm-hmm. because
1: we didn't actually write it because it's improv. So we think, based on what happened when we first played, because uh, we did the whole recording in a five-day session... Um, that there are 17 episodes and, uh, we're hitting right into the climax as we speak today.
2: Love it. Love it. And where can people find you on social media? If you want to be found,
1: I would love to be found. So, uh, (laughs) Uh, you will be found. Um, I am at Ned Donovan, N-E-D-D-O-N-O-V-A-N. No underscores, no dashes, no nothing. In fact, if you put those things in, there is another Ned Donovan good dude. He's a British journalist. Uh, (laughs) he gets mad at me a lot because I own all the unaffected Ned Donovan handles. Mm. Um, So you can find me there. You can find my production company if you want to check out some of our albums or our podcasts or whatever at Charging Moose NY. That's our handle everywhere. Uh, And then Encounter Party is at Encounter Party on Facebook, Encounter underscore party on Twitter and Instagram. And um, that's how you can get a hold of me right now. Also check out Audition Cat, especially if you as a listener are an actor at any stage of your career, union, non-union, union, veteran, just entered the industry, doesn't matter. We're building an app that's going to help you manage your career and your audition life. You can find us at audition.cat and audition.cat is also our handle everywhere.
2: I love it. I actually know exactly how you feel about that whole Ned Donovan thing because apparently there's a choreographer in New Yorker who used to work on Broadway named Chris Peterson.
1: Oh, no way.
2: And I've seen his name in a couple playbills from long ago and things like that. But what's funny is every time I get like friend requests from like old Broadway vets, uh, they are very quickly disappointed to learn that I am not that Chris Peterson and uh
1: Quick, quick anecdote, two of them. One, Ned Donovan once, and I'm sorry, Ned, if you listen, but the odds of that are so low. uh, uh, Once tweeted at me while very intoxicated, challenging me to a duel over neddonovan at gmail.com, which is my email if now you guys have it. Uh, And he wanted to to use swords in Piccadilly Circus. Uh, And then two... Um, One of my other ventures is called the turf. The turf is a sports journalism website started by Justin Colombo, who uh, is most recently of Kinky Boots on Broadway, currently Rock of Ages off Broadway. It's a collection of artists writing about sports from a different angle. And um, one of the things that that we ran into was that the turf sports is owned by someone on Instagram who started using our logo as his picture. Ooh. And so we had to start like chasing him down with messages being like we see you. Like you're very public. This is very very not okay. Uh stop? Please? But also I was in a I got an email to my Gmail account because everyone like sometimes Ned, other Ned, accidentally puts my email in and I get his dinner reservation confirmations like nice. it's just like this happens. I have to like shoot him. a. I usually post it on Facebook to publicly shame him because we're <laughs> friends. But I got an email from a collection of dudes in Connecticut who had all gone to college together, who someone they went to college with named Ned Donovan uh, was in their fantasy golf league. But they put me in there instead. And I played on this Fantasy Golf League for like seven weeks. Uh, I never played. Ned (laughs) played. But I responded to every email. Uh, I threw a whole lot of banter and trash talk. And uh, it was a great
2: time. (laughs) Amazing. So, this, folks, this is some of the fun that you can have when people share your names and things like that. So, go for it. Go for, go for it. for it. Well, thanks again, Ned, for joining us. This was a real pleasure. Folks, you can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com. And please join us next week. We're doing this thing probably once or twice a week now because you've just got so many movie musicals to get through. But next week, we're actually staying in 1997 and we're doing Anastasia.
1: Oh, amazing.
2: Yeah. So really looking forward to breaking that one down. Cats do um, Dance would
1: be better if Bartok was in it.
2: Right? Thank you. <laughs> actually, the stage musical would be better if Bartok was in it. But Ain't that true? <laughs> different conversation for a different time, <sighs> right? All right, folks. We'll see you next week. Ned, thanks again, man. I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Chris. All righty.
0: song to leave behind one day more,
1: no day but
0: today, I don't
2: know you, but I want you, oh,
1: love is like